0: Welcome to another edition of Terry's Talk and the Cleveland.com podcast. This is David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, your host, and alongside, as always, Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Terry, some breaking news this Wednesday afternoon. Let's get right into the Guardians, um, then we'll talk some Browns and some Cavs if we have time. We can talk about your Faith column and got kind of a different thing for Terry's trivia about memorabilia that I wanted to get your thoughts on. But uh, COVID has struck the Guardians. Terry Francona has caught it and DeMarlo Hale and maybe some other people in the traveling party in today's game against the White Sox in Chicago has been scrapped. We certainly wish anybody who's caught it a speedy recovery. And hopefully the symptoms aren't too bad. It's a tough, tough time though, with everything, the way that was, the way they've been playing and everything.
1: Yes. And, and, uh, you know, they're always concerned about Francona with anything health wise. Um, It's funny you mentioned that uh, this morning I went and got the, Booster, no old man's booster number two. So, uh, I mean, I it's don't actually, know how much. My view is, I don't know how much it helps, but it probably doesn't hurt. So,
0: that's the, actually, the name of my new vodka that I'm going to roll out as well. Yeah, old man old booster, man. <laughs> booster number two.
1: But I know they always are concerned with with uh, Terry, and because of all the heart things and everything else he's had. So, yeah, I wondered about that because I just I just saw that uh, this thing on um, that that was canceled and. And that, so we'll we'll see. Fortunately, most of these guys that have been testing positive, you know, have not had a, a lot of uh, uh, right now lingering symptoms or that kind of stuff. So,
0: yeah, and the team has held a meeting, according to Paul Hoynes, uh, our colleague who's in Chicago with the team, uh, they had a meeting to, to talk about whether they want to reinstitute their mask policy and bring mm-hmm. that back. So I think they're going to consider that and see what other measures they need to take. So hopefully they will be back. To normal there very soon. Um, you want to talk about uh, the events of the week, Terry? I guess we should get into Josh Naylor. Yes. So you saw Josh Naylor in spring training, and you were really impressed with how far he'd come and how his yeah. swing looked. And, and and boy, talk about a for people who missed it, I just want to recap real quick. So Monday night, the Guardians were down uh, six runs in the ninth inning. Josh Naylor comes up, hits a grand slam in the ninth inning to tie the game and send it into extra innings. And then he comes back and hits a three run Homer in the 11th inning to help the guardians to a 12, nine win over the white Sox on Monday night. One of the most exciting games we've seen in recent years. And, uh, but you know, you saw Josh Naylor, as I mentioned early, you're probably not all that surprised with, with, I mean, eight RBIs is a lot, but to see the way he's playing, you can't be all that surprised by it. I'm guessing.
1: I'm not surprised he's back on the field because, um, he was stunningly able to play. And I mean that as one, I think it was June 27th when he had the compound fracture of the leg. I've, I forgot tibia, all those kind of things. I'm a little familiar with that because uh, my nephew is a truck driver and had a real bad accident with a forklift and was very similar to what Josh went through. And he had two surgeries and skin grafts. And I mean, it is a rough thing to come back from and josh actually was was angry a bit he couldn't be on the opening day roster he just wanted to go slow with him but i remember seeing him hit a ball in the gap And you know he kind of waddles around and that but i'm watching him going well he wasn't real fast before and he's not real fast now and as francona said he looks great in the batter's box and i mean he was hitting line drives all over the place there so that was exciting and to see this is is, is remarkable um Story on Naylor, I remember when, I remember when the, uh, uh, when the Guardians make a big move, trade or whatever, I, I usually call Tom Hamilton's one of the people I talk to, because not only does he work for the Guardians, but he's so well connected, and he said, you know, my, remember Tom's son for several years was a scout, um, he's now, because they want to have a, married, want to have a family, he's doing some, uh, something else, but he said, my is son. Is this Ted, Tom's
0: son that played at Kent State and went to yes, the College World yes. Series? Okay, I don't remember mm-hmm. his first name, but yes. I remember that great run Yeah, and I'm
1: having, Bradley's by. the other son that played at Kent. Nick is okay, Nick, Nick Hamilton. Nick. right? And Nick's the one also that uh, wears, I mean, he's a remarkable story himself. And they wear, he has to wear these real uh, specialized hearing aids and that. He's overcome a lot. Okay, Nick texts his dad and says, if they are patient with, uh, with Naylor, this guy will really hit. He says there's a certain sound off of the bat when he hits the ball, and not that he's going to hit a ton of homers, but just a really good hitter. And he was a first round draft pick, you know, just like his brother Bo. Um, and so I always kept that in mind. But you remember when he came, he was sort of up and down and all over. It was like, oh, you look at this kind of sort of a little fat guy, you know. You looked at that, and uh, but now you see the what the patience has paid off for him and his determination and probably i prefer a, a first baseman that's at least six foot but you know because it does help the infielders but he is pretty decent over there you know he has well played. and how
0: about that play that I mean, yeah I mean, kind of got lost the other night I mean, it was the, 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 stretch. the guardians were in danger of losing the white sox had the bases loaded with two outs Hard smashed on the third field line. And Jose Ramirez dove all out on his belly to snare it, got up and threw wide to first. And Naylor basically did the splits mm. toward out or out toward right field, held the bag, and they got the third out. And that set up his heroics later well, on. The, in the classic night, thing
1: too, David, two non-athletic looking guys making incredibly athletic plays right. because Jose goes down and then he, you know, he jumps up like a cat on his feet. He fires it over there. You know, it does bounce and then Naylor has the perfect um, way you you handle that throw he had his feet lined up correctly and everything else so that he was able to stretch and pull it in so that was exciting but you know Naylor's thing you go down that lineup and you look at you know Naylor and you look at Owen Miller you know Owen Miller's been lost in some of this how well he's played you know I was on the Owen Miller bus back in 2021 I, I just thought this guy was one of the best looking hitters I'd seen in quite a while. I compared him uh, to Yandy Diaz a little bit. And actually Yandy has been good, but not as good as I thought he would be. You know, he's been like a 280 hitter in that, but you know, Owen had remember Owen got farmed out. He had over 400 in AAA, came up and then suddenly looked like he never saw a baseball before and then bounced up and down and, and was sort of lost last year. Uh, first exposure to the big leagues, you know, Josh was, uh, Josh was okay last year. Then he got hurt. But now you look at this guy, Josh is back there. Here comes Owen in his second season. He's really hitting. Um, Jimenez in his third season is, is hitting. And you just, his patience is paying off with these guys.
0: Well, and one thing, Terry, that I've been thinking about is everybody remembers in the 90s, those great Indians teams back then. They not only hit a lot of home runs and won a lot of games, but they would they, they were so fiery and so yeah. and they would jump up and down and they they would be celebrating like crazy as they went. Around. They were a lot of fun to watch, aside from what the play was on the field. Mm-hmm. And you watched Josh Naylor the other night. I was trying to think. I mean, you can tell he's from Canada. Right. And yeah. you can tell that he played hockey when he was a kid. The way he celebrated after those home runs, it was like he was jumping <laughs> into the glass behind the net. Yeah, or something. He, yeah. And uh, boy, speedy recovery to his batting helmet. Uh, I'm sure that. Yes. Makes, I, he, he I have to admit the if I were Frank twice. Kona,
1: I would have said everything was fine to you through the batting helmet. Cause with our luck, it's gonna bounce off the bat rack and hit <laughs> you or me and we're gonna get
0: hurt. <laughs> well, they got lucky twice because the after both home runs, the batting helmet was I think Fran Reyes did the first time and then uh yeah, and then he did it the other. But the batting helmet was whipped into the bat rack. But uh I I suggest that
1: they go like a sandbox then you can like heave it into the sandbox. It just
0: sticks down here. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Paul Hoynes had a great quote from Tony Amato, the clubhouse manager. He said, the batting helmet is going to go down a hero. But
1: yeah. Anyway,
0: going back to my point, like I was trying to think of the last time the team had somebody who going around the bases, his shirt is kind of unbuttoned. Yeah. And he's just, he's like, yes, you know, and, and just getting fired up. And the whole team was just reveling. Well, they had in a little moment. of that
1: in 16 with Giambi and that spirit was on that team too. Mm-hmm. Um, And they had, uh, oh, my goodness, here comes an old man's moment. I was fearful of that. He was the first baseman in DH. They they brought him in for one year, and he hit, like, 30 homers. And he came from the Red Sox, and he had played elsewhere. And um, so as we're talking, let's – Ask me another question. I'm going to look this up.
0: This yeah, so is
1: totally embarrassed. I
0: was trying to think of recent players,
1: but in he franchise had history. He had that too.
0: Yeah, I know. Oh God, I'm. I need. Some, I need old man booster number two, Terry. Yeah, out. and you're a lot younger. <laughs> but I, I was trying to think. Like I think of players like Kenny Lofton, who who brought that. Yes. And it's a you know it's 162 game season. And you, uh, Mike Napoli is the guy you're Mike thinking Napoli, just is my head. Yes. but you need guys like that to, to not only keep the game fun, but also getting to those moments is pushing the rock up the hill is such an experience. Mm-hmm. You're in a baseball game and you're able to rally at that. And the, and guys like that, who bring that kind of juice, just make it fun. And that that's what kind of propels the team through a season. I think you can't have any, too many guys like that. And it's really, really fun to watch. Well,
1: I know one of the things they were hoping the, the guardians were hoping is that Um, the young guys would be far along enough that you're not talking 90 or hundred losses. In fact, I'm during the draft, Jimmy Donovan came up to me. This is when they were really in the, the, the depths of that Yankee angels week. Remember they just looked horrible. He goes, I'm afraid these guys could be really bad. I said, I don't think so, Jimmy. And I didn't, you know, I said, I picked them 77 and 85, and I stand on that. And I said, generally, young teams play better in the second half than the first unless they're ravaged by injuries, and that is Francona's track record uh, because also a lot of times they're calling up people from the minors that are, you know, for example, Bobby Bradley, seen enough. Goodbye. You know, this is how it's going. So uh, they were hoping that some of these guys would, in their second and third years in the big leagues, now uh, come across and, and perform. Remember, Josh May was a number one first round pick. Quantrill first round pick. So they some of these different guys have been drafted high. You know, the, There was scouting reports. I give them, give them a lot of credit on Quantrill because the Padres really wanted him. He was uh, I think it was an uh, uh, eighth or tenth overall in the draft. They wanted him to be a starting pitcher. They were invested in this guy. He couldn't do it. They finally did the I'll put him in the bullpen and hope for the best, which he did help him some. But Antonetti and uh Chernoff brought him in first. No, no, he is a starter. He's going to start for us and they, they, they call it the pitching factory. We're going to put him into the pitching factory and now pitching factory doesn't work for everybody. They did that to Logan Allen too. Remember that? And that didn't work for that Logan Allen, but it did work for Quantrill. But a lot of the guys as uh, 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 need to know, uh, you know, a lot of the players that they, they brought, they were highly regarded in the first place. So it was just a matter of like Jimenez was, was, was a prime prospect for the Mets. And if you look Rosario was at one point, I think the number five overall uh, prospect in all of MLB, both in baseball America and the, um, Keith Law does it for ESPN. So these guys, other words, a pedigree and a lot of these guys was there.
0: So let's take inventory, Terry, if you're, Chris Antonetti and Terry Francona, and you're looking at this team right now. And with the COVID cancellation today and an off date tomorrow, they're 15 and 15, three games out in the AL Central. Their 255 batting averages, third in Major League Baseball. I think and it's still first the league, how in the American, American League. Yep. They're fifth in run scored in Major League Baseball. They're second in RBI in Major League Baseball. They're sixth in slugging percentage in Major League Baseball. Uh, you got to be feeling pretty good. And I guess an unsung hero is probably, I mean, Chris Valleca, the new hitting coach, mm-hmm. seems like he's clicking with some of these guys. It's still early, but they've dug out of a, of an early slump and, and they kind of have it going here.
1: Sort of like everything old is new again. You know, they're off the launch angle. They're off of the pulling everything and just make contact and basically beat these shifts because the problem with the shift is, you know, you, we see a lot of line drives do get caught frustrates hitters. So now they're just trying to hit it out of the park over everybody. Where how many times I remember we, I used a picture of Josh Naylor were um, in a story and he's like leaning out over the plate, just like kind of whacking the ball with left field to left field on the third base line. Cause they were all shifted over on that was an, a weekend game. And the only thing I just want Josh to know, uh, well just don't get you're not a home run hitter. You can hit home runs but that's not what you do. You just hit the ball hard, you know, to all fields.
0: And even Fran Reyes, who was in an awful slump, as we talked yeah. about last week, the, the cure for him was what? Talking to Vlad Guerrero Sr. and David Ortiz, who called him with some advice. They got a, a call technical. back because the last
1: two games he struck out five <laughs> times and eight ate at bats. He had right, a great just stretch.
0: Going back to your point, Terry, yeah. about p- putting the ball in play. A lot of times when you have a guy who's supposed to be your cleanup hitter, you're talking about launch angle and, and how to get <sighs> But what did they tell him to do? They said, we want you to choke up on the bat, and we want you to drive the ball to center field and try and get a single. And that would not have been the advice, I don't think, in previous years. Would you agree no, with that?
1: No, no, because they were so into – you know, sports does this. They just hop on whatever is working or whatever is new, and this the launch angle thing, and and that's the way you beat the shift. No, you beat the shift by – how many times have we seen – a Guardians player, I've seen Jimenez do it. Well, they don't even know how to play Owen Miller. He hits the ball everywhere. If you watch that, you know, Jose, I wish you'd do it more hit it to the opposite field, but once in a while he gets frustrated and just whacks a single to, the, to left. But these guys are beating the shifts uh, by hitting the ball to the opposite field. I mean, that whole left side of the infield for these left handed hitters is wide open, wide open. Um, I mean, a couple of times, you know, Tom Hamilton and I were talking about this, like they're playing Andre Jimenez, like he's Ted Williams in the old days, you know, when Lou Boudreau was the first one to invent the Ted Williams shift. And he put, you know, 87 guys under, on the right side of the infield to, to watch, to try to get Ted to hit the ball, the opposite field. Uh, So I, I don't know what, what data they're looking at and some of the stuff that Toronto was doing, that was interesting all over the place. And a lot of it didn't work with all their crazy shifts so good for the guardians and Volenka, yeah. and i know this victor rodriguez is who's assistant hitting coach and latino which is very important with the, the language thing he is also an advocate of using the entire field
0: yeah and i think i heard today josh naylor's learning spanish because he wants to get to know his teammates better so uh that? i just thought i mentioned that, I that yeah really cool. so he is so,
1: you know he is a guy you would talk to him all the time in a clubhouse he was like always in there and he'd ask about any, you know, your family, anything. He just was engaging. He's, he is like this big teddy bear. You know, he's just one of those kind of guys. So um, it's exciting to see him. But when you go around there and he, so if you look at the, you know, how they're playing now, I think Miller was a fifth round draft choice. Uh, Jimenez was a prime prospect and then at the third base Jose was nobody's prospect 50 grand out of the Dominican. Then he go to the outfield. Let's let's put uh, Rosario out there. He was a top prospect. Interestingly, straw was not, I wrote a story about him. 10th round there, Stephen to as they never thought he'd get drafted. Number five. So it's a combination of a lot of things, but you know, quant, quant makes contact. straws in a slump right now, but he takes pitches and makes contact Rosario makes contact. It was funny the other day I looked up what he wasn't hitting and I said, as of May 11th, it started on May 11th last year, he hit 300. And like on May 10th, he started hitting.
0: So Terry, you mentioned Jose, and I think there's probably not any argument that he's the team's MVP so far. I mean, we're only Mm -hmm. in May. If you look at his numbers, 297 batting average, uh, 30 ribbies, seven homers, three steals. So if Jose Ramirez is the team's MVP right now, who would be number two on your ballot? If you were voting right now for guardians MVP.
1: Well, my, I told you coming out of spring training, my wife loves Stephen Kwan and she got on the Kwan wagon. When I was Very on the wagon at 21, she was on the Kwan wagon. We happened to just be watching a game in Goodyear together. So, but you know, you could make a strong case. A guy has a 400 on base percentage. And I think, like you mentioned, Naylor brought that fire in that. I think Quan brought this disciplined approach to the plate. I mean, remember we were talking about when's he going to swing and miss? And you watch, he works the count, um, and he's another young. Know, he's he's spunky too now. He's got a little edge to him that I like. You know, the little the little guy, the under underdog. So I would, I'm going to go with him. Maybe the stats don't show it, but just because I think he's brought something else to that lineup. Um, and then you know, pitching wise, you know that's the interesting thing. The pitching can get a lot better for this team, in my mind. None of these guys have really kicked into as good as they can be. By the way, I know there's some stuff about Bieber. Let me see. I'm not that concerned about Bieber uh, right now. I know his velocity's down some. The game, he, that win game, the wind seemed to get to him, but before that, he was pitching extremely well, and if he has to throw 90, 91, 92 in there, but he's got that knuckle curve going and a slider, and he's working the corners, I don't care. That's fine. We don't want this guy trying to ramp it up to go 94, 95 like he did last year and straining that shoulder. So now we have another outing like that, but he just seemed totally out. Remember that game was played in like a a tornado. I mean, the wind was blowing. It just seemed to really bug him that day.
0: Well, it looks like the weather's finally broken. We've got 83 degrees in Cleveland today and the guardians, uh, they're in Minnesota this weekend for a three game series, but then they're home next week for five games against the Reds and Tigers. So it'd be nice to have some normal weather. I mean, to have some normal weather where you can play some normal baseball, I think uh, I think it could be a really f- interesting summer. I, I think the fans could gravitate to this team. I really do. I think yeah, people, I was going to ask people you come this out and watch this kind of baseball. It's Stay fun with me, David. These guys this are is you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten at least three emails in the last few days. I I, I meant to use one in my, uh, Hey Terry, Com. I'll save it for the next thing saying I'm getting into these guys. Like I did the Cavaliers.
0: He goes, saying something. Something. Yeah. saying something. Yeah, saying something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How he goes? All of a sudden, about a month into the calf season, I'm watching the NBA for the first time in four years. And he said, "I'm getting into these guys." And he goes, and "I know they're not going to. They may not make the playoffs or whatever, but I'm, I'm into them.
0: Yeah, and the, like I said, the weather's getting better. The Yankees are here on Fourth yeah. of July weekend. It could be, it could be a baseball summer to remember. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, but have you? I'm just curious. I want to ask you. Do you see any parallel? I do, but it's so early, and the crowds yeah. have not. And you wrote about this. I don't mean about the crowds; I just mean
1: watching the team,
0: yeah. the attraction for the team. No, I, I can't see it, and, and the, they've always had strong ratings. The, the teams always had strong ratings yeah. on valleys uh, and before that, uh, Sports Time Ohio. So I'm really curious to see if it translates to the to the ballpark because I think that's 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 really a great measure too if people are willing. to But here's to here's
1: one that where I'm going with this. They said like the Cavaliers play different. Remember the big lineup and all that defense. These guys are playing different.
0: That's a great parallel. It really is. Yeah.
1: And, you know. uh, Fans like that. They like that. They're both old school. And then, like you said, Naylor, you know, they're, I mean, Jose Ramirez. I've gotten a couple of people say, you know, if Jim Tomey gets a statue and Jose has a couple more good years, he better get a statue. And I'll just throw that up there. That that's a I thought. I could not
0: agree more. Yeah, not agree more. And I left him out on the list of guys who bring the fire. He he he's he is. he's a little he's, he's like a smoldering fire sometimes. He, he is. Does, yeah. He never stops, but he does have his outbursts. It looks too, like he's angry.
1: He's not, but he's determined. You know, he's he does. That, he plays angry. Like, <laughs> it's like. He would be the kid. If you hand him the test, he'd be sitting at his desk. You know how some kids like they're writing and they're, they're chewing on their tongue. The kind of their tongue is out. It's like that. They're like, they're, they're into that there. So. Well, this has right. been fun talking about these guys.
0: Hasn't it? For sure. Yeah. And they got a, yeah. uh, they can heck, you know, we'll see how they do in Minnesota this weekend yeah. and where they are in the standings after that. So, all right, Terry, there's not a lot going on with the Browns right now, but we can spend a couple of minutes, uh, We're coming up on the schedule release, which is tomorrow night, Thursday night, the 12th. And we'll know who the Browns are playing, where they're, when they're playing them, what primetime games they're going to have. One thing I wanted to go back to, we didn't get time, have time to get into this last week, but I, I wanted to kind of settle this and get your final take on it. Fact or fiction, Terry, that the Browns guaranteed contract that they gave Deshaun Watson is hindering their attempts to trade Baker Mayfield because the other NFL teams are holding it against the Browns because of all the guaranteed money. And that's not the way we do business in the NFL. And, uh, you know, Steve Bashati the Baltimore Ravens owner comes out and says, I wish yeah. they hadn't guaranteed the whole contract. I don't know yep. that he should have been the first guy to get a fully guaranteed contract. That's something that's groundbreaking. And it's going to make negotiations harder with others, and he's got Lamar Jackson coming up for an extension soon. I better so, believe it. So is it true is it fact or fiction? You think there's any resentment around the, around the league? Or is it hey, just there is resentment. Man, and and here's how it factors
1: on. into Baker. It isn't because I've mentioned this, and it isn't the only reason they can't move Baker. But now you're, you have a three-front front battle here with Baker if you're trying to get rid of him. Number one, he's coming off a bad year and surgery. That's the biggest one. Number two, $19 million. Hence, to try and get rid of a guy coming off surgery for $19 million, um, you need sometimes a little help from somebody. You know, I'll do this if you do that. Why is it, for example, the Browns keep trading with Houston? They have a relationship. But right now, I think when they look at that, say, well, you know, if you're going to trade me Baker, you're paying a lot, buddy, because it's a gamble to begin with. And I'm not in the mood to cut you any break because I'm not sure how good he is. So now because they say, well, of course, if he were good, they wouldn't care. Just like nobody cared about Deshaun Watson's problems. You had three teams bidding, you know, like crazy on him. But that's not what we're talking about. I will say this, when the Browns cut Odell Beckham and his agent to deal, remember they went through all these things to allow him to become a free agent. They knew very well that the Rams or or one or two other teams are very likely to get him. Now, if they wanted to stick it to the Rams or whatever, they would have kept that contract in place. It, It gets complicated. But because um, remember, when you're dealing with salary cap issues and all that kind of stuff, you tend to go to somewhere where you can get a break or whatnot. But several teams, it wasn't just me, just on just Lena Anderson, who's a pretty, actually more well connected in the NFL than I am. She wrote the same thing. She goes, Nobody wants to cut the break. The Browns are break on Baker. Then, so we got contract, we got injuries, and we got another thing. Baker talks to a rapper for an hour plus. And says some really dumb stuff. Remember, he says some things about guys playing for Social Security. So if I'm owning Carolina and I'm saying, all right, I got this problem here. You know, they got basically damaged goods they're trying to sell me. And he said some dumb things. And this, if they're sending them to me, I ain't going to cut them a big break. You know, you you 14 million out of the 18 million is yours. You know, something like that. And of course, the Browns are saying, which is not bad. Let's just sit and wait but it's part of the whole thing. In the same way, when you judge the, the Sean Watson thing, you you judge it on three fronts, You know, the battling the civil suits, the, the contracts effect on the salary cap and trading all those number ones, et cetera. If Watson ends up being the top five quarterback or even they say top three quarterback, it's more than worth it. If he doesn't, you're paying the price either way. These things are not done. They're usually a couple steps all the time. So when I mentioned that, because then I went into Baker's interview and damaged goods, but that does come into play there.
0: So 97% other stuff and 3% the guaranteed contract.
1: Yeah, or 10% or whatever, you right. know, and just unfortunately, Houston doesn't want Baker. See, that would have been the ideal thing. They'd rather play Davis Mills.
0: Enough said. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, all right. I, 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 now, to me, I would gamble on Baker if I was Houston. I really would.
0: It, it would maybe, make sense. It would yeah. Make sense. And
1: if it doesn't, it's a one year contract. You yeah, know? And, and they got for, uh, all kinds of cap room. They're different, they're not in the same situation. I've been getting these emails, and you've probably seen why don't they just traded for Sam Darnold. Well, that doesn't do anything. That's like an NBA, one bad contract for another, but they want to get out from under the, the contract.
0: Right. Right. And he, he would be what they would call it the old expiring contract in the NBA yeah. for Baker. So,
1: oh, right. I want to tell you this. This is interesting since we're there on contracts and this. I was talking to a high level person um, with the Browns and um, I said, boy, you know, right now you are um, seven million over the cap for next year. But like they're, I don't know, 28 or something under it, even with Baker on the on the on the books. And he said, Terry, you're forgetting something. We can roll over a whole bunch of money from this year into next year. He said, no, it's tricky, you know, but it's not as bad as that big red number looks on over the cap right now.
0: Yeah, and the NHL cap is a hard cap. You can't go over it. The NFL is over a series, like you said, over three years, I believe. Yeah, you you can do that. It catches you eventually. Yeah, 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 it catches you eventually. It catches up, but you're not – you can go over by whatever amount and make up for it the next year or vice versa. So, so I'm going to do really some studying
1: point. on that, but I wanted to bring that up because I've been pounding away on the cap thing and, and, and the uh, fairness issue. Um, Cause I'm always interested to, I, I tell the teams this, I said, if I'm off base on something, how I'm looking at, you know, something factually, let me know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an expert in everybody's cap. And you know, I'm the only person actually that writes about all the teams here. So I have baseball with no cap. I got basketball with a strange cap, you know, as it really is, you know, all the exceptions and all that. And football is a stricter cap, but not sometimes as strict as you think.
0: So, Terry, since we're getting into the weeds on the salary cap and other stuff, I thought there was an interesting thing that I wanted to mention about Deshaun Watson. We found out this week that um, because of various depositions happening, well, Deshaun Watson is going to be deposed in June and then I believe later on uh, we had coverage on Cleveland.com about this from Adam Parise, one of our reporters. But it looks like there's not going to be a trial happening for the civil trial until probably April of next year. So there's kind of two shoes that Browns fans are waiting to drop here. One is the Mayfield trade. The other one is what's going to happen with the Sean Watson. I thought this was interesting, and I want to mention before we take a break. Before we take a break, uh, under the new personal conduct policy under the CBA, the league and the NFLPA have both hired a disciplinary officer. Okay, Roger Goodell is not making the decision on his own anymore. This disciplinary officer considers all the evidence, and they can either say no action should be taken, or um, this, this, uh these sanctions are going to happen or the suspension or whatever. If the disciplinary officer says no sanctions, Roger Goodell cannot change that. Mm-hmm. However, if the if the disciplinary officer says, well, it's a three game suspension, and Roger Goodell thinks it should be something else, shorter or longer. He can change it to be whatever he wants wow. it to be. I didn't so, know that part. Yeah, it's really interesting. So if if there's no if there's no suspension, Roger Goodell has no power to change it. But if there's anything at all, a fine, so a then it goes back, basically.
1: Then it's like the old days. That's like the rolled, old days. A, yeah, so they rolled, Roger, Roger Goodell
0: can can do whatever he wants with in terms of up, upping or reducing. Well it. The, so that's something that we'll want to keep an eye on as this thing moves forward in terms of when they make a decision on that. So.
1: I mean, I have to admit, this is not my favorite subject, but my thought when I saw this about no, no hearing until uh, a year from now, it's probably giving everybody time to settle.
0: Could be, could be. So right, really, Terry.
1: That's, what, that's what the lawyers want. They want
0: their money. And he's got plenty of it to give. So there's, and no there's plenty of that.
1: lawyers looking
0: for their that's cuts. Right. Um, all right, let's take a break Terry when we come back we'll talk uh, a little bit of calves and then we'll talk about your faith column and we'll wrap it up with a memorabilia related question on trivia so we'll be right back on Terry's talking. All right, we are back on Terry's talk and Terry let's talk some cavaliers here. The playoffs are going on. Tuesday is the lottery for the draft. The Cavs are in the 14th position. They'll probably end up somewhere around there. They don't have great odds to move up. But uh, as we look at the playoffs here, two former Cavs are not part of it anymore. And we're not even in the middle of May yet. Uh, The Lakers are out with LeBron and the Nets are out with Kyrie Irving. Uh, Really weird, right? I, I mean, think back. Yes, LeBron did win one
1: title in LA, you know, they won the title in the bubble, but for the most part in LA for LeBron has been battling injuries, uh, all those things. Then they missed the playoffs. Um, and it's just, to me, it's, it's remarkable to see that. And you, I was just reading some of the stuff with uh, Jeannie bus is sort of running the team along with an agent, Rob Palenka. has been an agent for years. And, you know, with, they're, they're kind of blaming LeBron for Russell Westbrook and he's blaming them for, you know, not putting the right players around them. Seems like we've seen this
0: movie before.
1: Yes, I am. And if anything, he exerted more power there than here, because I do not believe with David Griffin running when he was here, that he would allow or even Kobe uh, in them to muscle his way into Russell Westbrook. I just don't believe it because they would know. The strange thing about all that is how LeBron didn't see that Westbrook would be a terrible mix with him dominating the ball. So you saw that fall apart. And then, you know, he has a year left on his contract. There's a lot of what, could he come back to Cleveland, this and that. All right, I'm going to make my prediction. I think he signs an extension to stay in L.A. Well, and,
0: and as you know, Terry, there's always off the court stuff too. And I mean, yes. his family's established yes. out there. His kids play yes. ball out there. Yes, He's got his movie interests and his uh, entertainment interests, yes. the, the shows he produces and all that. That's all a big part of it, especially as yes. his career kind of enters its twilight phase. So, Absolutely. So do you think that Kyrie and LeBron, if they had it to do all over again, they would have, They would. They, do you think they, they're saying to themselves, gee, I, I probably should have stayed? Well, or not.
1: Well, knowing the
0: guy individually,
1: the little bit I've been around Kyrie, Kyrie thinks even when he's totally wrong, he was absolutely right. He just does. I mean, that's how you see his actions. The only time Kyrie was a good team player was when he was with LeBron James. I had one NBA person tell me he "Goes one of the greatest things LeBron did in his entire career was keep that guy somewhat in line. Because look at remember before he was kind of selfish and scored. And then afterwards, you know, the goes to the Celtics and they just, you know, fall apart. Then he goes to in the playoffs. And now he's with Brooklyn. There's all this stuff going on. You know, the only guy that could seem to handle him was LeBron, but at Kyrie could not realize that this is an opportunity of a lifetime to play with LeBron the last year fans don't know this. The last year when LeBron and he were together. Now they did lose in the playoffs that year to golden state, but Kyrie averaged more shots per game than LeBron. LeBron did acquiesce to him and that, and, but Kyrie, as he told Dan Gilbert, when he threatened him knee surgery, I want to be the focal point of the franchise. I want my own franchise. And that led to the trade to Boston in there. So, uh, you just kind of look at how their careers diverged. If nothing else, Kyrie had another year in a contract. Play it out. Play it out with LeBron. See what happens. You know, yeah, it's, it's, too bad. It's, it's, it's an opportunity. And, you know, now he's wandering around and they're, they're recruiting Kevin Durant and James Harden and all this stuff. To me, I kind of like the fact that you look at the teams that are in the playoffs. You have Milwaukee where Giannis uh, signed an extension to stay. You know they're a real kind of. He's the center of the team, and they're around there. You got Phoenix. Chris Paul comes in with a bunch of young guys, and you know there. And you just kind of Dallas with 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 Luka. And I I just I'm glad that none of these teams were built slapped together like the NBA's version of the AAU All Star team.
0: Yeah, and it's sad. We'll never know kind of how that last LeBron Kyrie I mean, season would have played out. We'll never maybe
1: know. you wouldn't have beaten Durant. But I guess what I wanted to say was, oh, LeBron, I don't think regrets leaving. He wanted to go to L.A. He wanted to try it. He won his title there. As you mentioned, he's got a lot going there. In his view, I gave in that last year in Cleveland, he played all 82 games. He was magnificent in the playoffs. And I just thought, you know, you want to leave and go to L.A. at this point, 11 years in your career in Cleveland. I'm good with that. But it is interesting as there all of a sudden you get into you know, it's like he wants to be the general manager until something goes wrong.
0: Yeah, bring me in all these veterans that I want. Why did yeah, you bring Cardillo, in all these? Anthony why did you bring in all these and White in,
1: Howard and
0: why did you uh, bring in all these guys who can't oh, play?
1: <laughs> you know, as opposed to like what Phoenix did, you bring in one guy, Chris Paul, with your emerging young guys together. That's kind of the old style of doing it. I mean, i go way back when Kareem Abdul Jabbar was Lou El Center a very young player at Milwaukee. To help him win his first title, they brought in Oscar Robertson. They didn't bring in three guys. They brought in their version of Chris Paul, and it got him over the top.
0: All right, Terry, let's change gears here. Uh, Your faith column this week is an interesting topic. Your faith in you column, which appears on Saturday mornings on cleveland.com and then Sunday in the Plain Dealer. And this week, you write about why it's impo- it's impossible to fix somebody else's life if they don't want to have their life fixed. And, it's, you know, everybody wants to help people. And if there's someone in your family who's struggling, but you really make the point that if they don't want it, it you can't put it on yourself if it doesn't work. Uh, and talk about kind of what you got into and in, uh, in this column and kind of how we should think about trying to help other people and fix their lives if they don't want it.
1: This is a and, and this is actually basically true. Um, in sports or anything else. And I remember I had to protect the coach. I won't name him with the, with the, uh, the old Indians and Sheldon Oker and I were sitting in the, uh, the locker room in, um, in Winter Haven, just kind of hanging around. That was really the old days. You just sort of talk to different guys and the coach comes in and he was very frustrated with um, two of the players that he was working with defensively on the team. And he said, he goes, you know what? I can't do anything unless they allow me to coach them. And he explained how fundamentally, you know, one guy was doing one thing just just blatantly wrong and this, and he said, and the other guy was just not interested in playing defense at all. He said, they have to allow you to coach them at the pro level. And that's sort of in families. If you want to coach them, they have to allow you to do it. He because some of these guys, I start to say something, and they're like, well, who are you to say? Okay, then from a spiritual level, there's a, a, a biblical story where uh, a man had been an invalid for 38 years, and he's lying by um, this uh, pool of water where he would go to beg every day. Jesus sees him, comes over, and, you know, he clearly the man is paralyzed or there but jesus says to him first do you want to get well and i think it's a very powerful thing and then then the man said yes and he says well then get up and walk it was like a challenge there but and you say well why would he say that but we can get used to being the guy laying there with people depending on other people to take care of us and and it's a very and i, I talked to father walt jenny who was for years at uh, in Brexville, at uh, the parish there, and now he's at Saint Helen in Newbury. And he said he has a couple of friends in AA, and he even goes to AA meetings with them. He goes, and that's actually the question that's asked all the time: Are you ready, really, to get? Are you? Do you? Do you really want to get sober?
0: Yeah, and one of the things that really struck me, Terry, this was this quote you had, and it's kind of the unseen cost when you, if you're a parent and you have a child who's really struggling, and you devote so much to them. And you're not devoting attention to the other kids or it's, it's an imbalance there that can be really unhealthy. But this quote, you see you write that a lady once told you a mother can only be as happy as how her most troubled child is doing. And I thought that was really a striking quote. Uh, yeah,
1: and she, she meant it the right way, but I, but I thought about the other children and I think most of us have, whether it's a sibling or some other relation in our family, who a long time ago, I did a column called the energy vampires, you know, the people who just suck the energy out of it. And that happens. And the kids, and, and I, I'm speaking really from the heart here as somebody for all the years at the Haven, Arrested City Mission, and then, or Summer County Jail, um, you, you have one troubled kid that's going through this, but you have these other kids and they're just so sick of hearing about this kid's drug problem or this kid's financial problems. And they're, meanwhile, they went through school and they did the right things and they're just longing for, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, they know I love them and I appreciate them, but, but you know, let's get back. How they're are we going yeah, to fix, how yeah. are we going to fix this guy? Well, they're tired of that guy. Yeah. And, and it's a dangerous thing to do. And also I don't think any of us should allow how someone close to us just dictate our moods all the time that's not a healthy situation
0: all right so check that out this weekend Uh, like i said online saturday and in the paper on sunday really good read so really enjoyed that column terry all right terry we got a couple of hate terry questions we are running short on time we're going to do these quickly this first one is from frequent writer and pod participant rudy w he wants to, the subject of his question was, is avoiding an awkward situation with Baker Mayfield worth missing the playoffs? Number one, is Mayfield better than Jacoby Brissett? Yes. Would a healthy Mayfield be better than last year? Yes. Can Mayfield win at least one more game than Brissett during a six-game Watson suspension if it goes that way? Yes. Would six games showcasing Mayfield enhance his trade value? Yes. Would Mayfield want a chance to prove himself? Yes. Could one more win be the difference in the playoff seedings? Yes. Does making the playoffs trump everything? Yes, absolutely. And he says there's too many yeses here to allow the awkward situation of having Baker Mayfield in the locker room, stop the Browns from keeping him around. What do you think, Terry? Of Rudy's-
1: I think it ain't awkward. I think it could be toxic. That's different because Baker has no interest in wanting to be there. Baker wants out. And Baker burned a lot of things in the locker room. It's not, it's not like a defensive end. It's not like an offensive lineman. You know, the quarterback is different and he, you know, he's out there and Baker, you know, one thing about Baker, we know that whatever he's thinking, it's going to come out and I just, it's over here for him. And I I think for him to really revive his career, David, I think he needs a fresh start somewhere.
0: I agree. We've all seen athletes who are like, I'm never playing for them again. And all yeah. of a sudden they're playing for But this doesn't feel like that. It does. Yeah, it's a it, quarterback it, is just yeah.
1: different. It's, it's the most unique position in team sports.
0: I think I mean, you can have makes- a pitcher
1: who's a real jerk. OK. Yeah. And he doesn't. But when he's on the mound, he's just pitching. It's his ball game. And I mean, I've known guys. It's like they say, man, I can't stand him except once a week when he's pitching for us. Yeah, the rest of the time he's doing his thing, and he's but see the quarterback has to be involved, you know. Well,
0: and also that guys are laying their bodies on the line for him on every play, and you got to mm-hmm. believe in the guy you're blocking for, and 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 running patterns for, and everything. So, good good points by Rudy. I just I yeah, agree. I think it's I a little see, bit too and, far and gone. It's not
1: a, it's not an irrelevant argument at all. Um, the just the question is, um, and then the coaching staff doesn't want him back. I mean, listen to Kevin Stefanski well, it's fluid. we are going to work through this. He's not saying, oh, we'll take him back. He's like, no, we got to, we got to figure out how to get him out of here.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, Terry, one more. Uh, this one, I, I pulled it from your Hey, Terry column, which was on cleveland.com, and it's from Diana Grayson. I thought it was interesting. She says, hey, Terry, what is up with so many guardians sliding into first base? Were they not taught that continuing to run is faster and how to best beat the throw is when, when they were in Little League? Why do they think it's? <laughs> why do they not think it's the only base you can run through and still be safe? What do you think of the sliding into first base?
1: I think I could have written that email myself. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> how I think, and I just go back to 1999 playoffs when when sliding into first base, um, Kenny Lofton just really messed up his shoulder. Gant, granted, you could do that in other bases, but it just seems like first base creates a real. Um, I don't know if you get there faster sliding or not, but there've been studies,
0: Terry, you get there faster by running. It's been proven. And I think they they might have actually done this on that old Mythbusters show that was up uh, about five years ago. To me, it
1: just, your eye test tells you that. Yeah. Yeah. The only time it really works is if there's a high throw and then you go down and slide under it, but how you don't have time to see that. I think they just think it's cool, but I don't like the. I don't, you know, you could have your hand stepped on all kinds of things.
0: Yeah. You see some guys slide into first base and they want you to think, Oh, look at how hard he's hustling when actually I see it. And I think, boy, that was not the best play. No. And I will
1: tell this, I mean, as I would say, what about stealing second base? Okay. As a, as a bad second baseman at Benedict in high school, when you take your throw going down, I am not on the runner side of second base. I'm on the opposite side of second base. I'm taking it there so that I could, you know, protect from a bad throw and then catch it and slap that tag down. So the only way you're really going to kind of get hurt is if like you, 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 you slide awkwardly, or you don't like getting hit in the head with the with the, with the glove. Whereas a first base, it just seems everything's kind just all out of whack. Or it was Lenny Wilkins, favorite word. He used to say when things went not wrong, discombulate this, this There we go. <laughs> All
0: right, Too hey, much so-
1: discombobulation sliding into first base.
0: <laughs> so thanks for that question, Diana. And hey, we'd love to hear from uh, all of you out there. If you have a Hey Terry question, you can email it to us at sports at or you can hit Terry up on his Facebook page. Here's something else that I was loving, uh, loving. I was hoping we could get some uh, response to Terry and we'll wrap w- up with this thing. We're not doing Terry's trivia, but this is kind of a little trivia question. Uh, send us your thoughts on this. I I got this, this interesting news tidbit. So there's the famous goal from the 1986 world cup where Diego Maradona of Argentina went up to head the ball against England and he put his fist next to his head and he actually punched the ball into the goal with his fist instead of heading it in. There was no instant replay back then, obviously. And it was the pivotal goal that helped uh, Argentina win the world cup that year. The jersey from that game, from what's known as the Hand of God Goal game against mm-hmm. England in the 86 World Cup, it sold last week for $9.3 million. That's the highest price ever paid at auction for a piece of sports memorabilia. And the previous record was $8.8 8 and that was in December 19 for the 1892 manifesto that launched the modern Olympic Games. But it got me thinking, like, what cleveland memorabilia sports memorabilia thing if you had the money to buy it and money was no object, Terry, what would you want to get of a cleveland sports historical memorabilia thing that you'd like to have and i got a couple i wanted to throw out too but why don't you start first all right so there's two i would love to have and i wouldn't pay like nine million dollars for these but hey if i was a billionaire maybe I would love to have LeBron's shorts from game six of the NBA finals in 2016 when Draymond green kicked him. <laughs> I mean, that was that play was a history changing moment in Cleveland sports. Yeah. And I would love to have the pair of shorts that LeBron was wearing that day because it was such an important play that turned the whole tide and gave Cleveland, a uh, just a, an amazing championship. And the other thing that I would love to have, so I, you probably know, I went to Illinois for college mm-hmm. and, I, um, like myself, Lou Boudreau grew up in Chicago and went to Illinois mm. and played there and was a is a Hall of Famer at Illinois. Um, I would love to have a Lou Boudreau Indians jersey from the 1948 World Series. I think that would be a really cool thing to have just because that was an important year. And um, it's the last World Series won by the Indians and franchise and Lou Boudreau is Chicago guy and Illinois guy. So I thought that'd be kind of neat to have. What about you? Well,
1: Well, I wouldn't. He still has it. Bat, as far as I know, but I would love to have a signed Rocky Colavito bat from when he hit four homers in a game. Ooh, that would he be, has
0: that bat? He I has. believe
1: he does. In fact, next time I talk to Rocky, because I call him every couple months. By the way, how about Rocky starring in that Faith column on how to call, you know, calling a dying friend, and and that? So I got to ask him. But I'm pretty sure he still does. Um, that would and be And if something. not, I want it. So that would be it, and signed. By that, because there's a famous picture of him kissing the bat afterwards. So I think that would be really uh, cool to have. And then also, I think I would like to have a. Um, uh, a world be free autograph jersey from his one year at the cows where I covered him because he and I, I mean, I used to play three point horse with him all the time afterwards. We were good friends. So you ever beat him. I, now he would spot me. H-O-R-S and I couldn't beat him. I mean, sometimes the games went on a long time, but the thing is like when he knew he had to put it away, he would get like 32 feet away. He went great in this thing. He has such strong arms. So those would be the two, you know, because of the kind of the relationship behind them as opposed to
0: oh, I love those. Uh, yeah. The
1: significant.
0: Oh, so listen, send us your ideas. What piece of Cleveland sports memorabilia yeah. would you like to have? If you could send us an email at sports at Just put memorabilia in the subject line. We'll find it and we'll, uh, we'll read some of the best answers next week on the podcast. How about that, Terry? What do you think? That yeah, sounds great. All right. Well, thanks, Terry. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talk.